Welcome to Diverse, a Society of Women Engineers podcast. SWE gives women engineers a unique place and voice within the engineering community. On Diverse, we highlight the incredible thought leaders and personalities in our community and discover who they are at home, at work, and in between. You can find all of our podcast episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and iHeartRadio. Hello, everyone. I'm Karen Hording, Executive Director and CEO of the Society of Women Engineers. Welcome to Diverse, a SWE podcast. Please remember to subscribe and follow us on Instagram at SWE Diverse Podcast. On today's episode of Diverse, I am joined by Major Melissa K. Birma. Major Melissa Birma is the Chief of the Information Integration Branch of the United States Space Force, located at the Pentagon. In this capacity, she is responsible for integrating the U.S. Space Force into our sister services and the Department of the Air Force's future warfighting concepts, reviewing emerging technologies and how to implement those into the Chief of Space Operations priorities and aligning war game efforts across the Space Force enterprise. Thank you for joining us, Major Birma. Let's jump in. One thing about Diverse is whenever we have someone with such an amazing career, we like to jump in at the very beginning and talk about what sparked your interest in this field. So I can answer from my perspective. From a very young age, I was always interested in STEM and science and engineering. For example, I grew up in Dayton, Ohio, which has an Air Force base nearby. My grandfather had retired from the military. He had a 20-year career with the Air Force. And periodically, when I was young, he would take us on base to see, you know, all the planes and everything else going on there on the base. And, you know, it was just a hub of activity. There's so many exciting things going on at the base. I just thought, wow, this is amazing. And I also remember in elementary school, a lot of the teachers, sometimes in class, would have to stop what teaching class or teaching a lesson because our elementary school was actually in the flight path of uh, some of the planes landing and taking off from Wright Pat. So they would have to stop wait for the airplane to pass by, and then continue on with the lesson. So it didn't happen often, but that's something that always stuck out in my mind. So I always had an interest in aviation. My mom would always take us trips to see science things, take us on trips to the library. I remember growing up, I was an avid reader. I would always have like a stack of books from the library, and you know, within a week, I'd be done with them and you know, on to the next stack of books. Now, at one time, I think I was getting books from our school library in town and also the local bookmobile that was stopped in our neighborhood. Also, my mom would take us to places like COSI, which is like a science museum in Columbus, Ohio, nature parks. In Dayton, there's a thing called Carillon Park, where it's just kind of a historical museum. And they talked a lot about, you know, the history of aviation in that area. My dad, he was a Mr. Fix-It-Upper. He always liked to fix things around the house, you name it, cars houses, stuff, appliances, and he always had me and my brother to help. So we were always interested in tinkering with things, taking stuff apart, putting them back together. I can remember when I was a kid, my dad was an avid car collector. So back in those days before eBay, before Amazon, in order to get car parts, sometimes you'd have to go to the local junkyard. And so my dad would take me and my younger brother along sometimes when he would have to get a part from the junkyard. So, you know, sometimes we would help and sometimes we'd walk around, but I think that also sparked my interest in like all things related to engineering. I was always interested in how things worked and so on. So by the time 
I was getting ready to go to high school. I already had a broad set of interests. You know, I was interested in the outdoors. I loved team sports. You know, soccer was my favorite. I was also interested in science and engineering and probably any book I could get my hands on that was related to science or engineering, I would read it. So when it came time to schedule my high school classes, one of the things I noticed was our high school had an Air Force Junior ROTC program that was relatively new at the time. I noticed all the activities that were listed in the program. They had things like flight on military aircraft, attending summer camps, leadership opportunities, orienteering, base visits, outdoor stuff, team building, community service. And plus, the kicker was a lot of their academic classes revolved around aviation, space, leadership, the history and science of flight. And that was when I had that light bulb moment. I'm like, oh, this has all the things that I love. Why not? And I was a little hesitant at first because at the time, it wasn't you know, like the coolest thing to do. And you know, a lot of my friends are like, oh, why do you want to do that? You may have to you know, you wear a uniform one day a week. And one of the people that really encouraged me to just at least try it out at least for a semester was my mom. She was uh, really a huge proponent of me trying junior ROTC at least for a semester and thinking it out, which I did. And the rest I could say is history. You know, from there, I graduated high school and then I went on to college where I did ROTC there. And then from there, I went on to active duty. So it's just that one thing that led to all these other things. But full disclaimer, you don't need to be in a junior ROTC program to enlist or attend a service academy or participate in college or ROTC. That was just an opportunity that my high school had at the time, and I took advantage of it. Yeah. Well, I love hearing about early mentors in your parents, how they both really encouraged you. And I think especially your dad with getting you involved in hands-on activities, because so often girls lack the confidence to pursue those sorts of things. And so I think the fact that your dad not only enlisted your brother to help, but got you to help as well probably made a big difference. So can you talk a little bit about your training in engineering at Wright State with your master's degree and maybe how that led to some of the, the things you're doing in your current role at Space Force? Oh, absolutely. So I would like to say that my academic program that I received and the, the skills that I received at Wright State University kind of put me on solid footing, gave me a good foundation to build off of. In my master's degree program, I focused on human factors, human-computer interactions, supply chain management, lean six sigma, lean manufacturing principles, all those different areas, which I was able to use those when I'm faced with a problem that I encounter on the job, I would say that that solid foundation gave me a lens to view different problems. As you know, in my current role, I work in the Futures and Integration Division at uh, Headquarters Space Force Pentagon, and we evaluate future technology and determine its applicability to the Space Force. And so when I look at future technology, you know, one of the things that we're thinking about right now is CubeSats, these large, diverse constellations of small satellites, 100 plus small sats, cube sats. And, you know, when I think about that, it's a really cool technology. And when I look at it from a human factors perspective, I'm like, okay, so we have all these satellites in orbit. And is there a computer-based interface or is how's the human on the ground going to be able to A, monitor all those satellites and B, pay attention to the status and health of all of those satellites around it? And then, you know, I think further into that, okay, you know, maybe it's not possible for a human to do that. You know, what else could we do to kind of augment that? And that's when I start thinking about things like automation, 
AI, machine learning, coming up with different algorithms to ensure that a lot of these functions can be done automatically without much interference from a human. So I would say by and far, that's my training at Wright State helped me is kind of to view problems through those lenses. Yeah, that sounds great. Like it gave you really a perfect platform to move into the role you're in now. I'm fascinated by this idea of Space Force and what you all do, but it is relatively new. So can you tell us a little bit more about Space Force and the mission? Absolutely. So just taking it straight from our website, our mission essentially is to Space Force is responsible for organizing, training, and equipping Guardians to conduct global space operations that enhance the way of our joint and coalition forces fight, while also offering decision makers military options to achieve national objectives. So with that, I know that there is a lot of confusion out there about, you know, do we have aliens? Are we going to explore the galaxy kind of thing? So I would say Space Force, our role is more of a military role. We are interested in operating satellites that are used for military purposes, whether GPS satellites, missile warning satellites that can detect missile launches all over the globe, weather satellites, because of course the joint force needs to understand what the weather is like in a particular part of the globe in order to enable operations. So we need to be able to do that and have insight into that. And then also military communications. So I would say by and large, we're kind of focused on the military utility of satellites and the space exploration piece that is kind of more in the purview of NASA, if that makes sense. Yeah, that sounds great. And how has the transition into an independent branch of the armed forces enabled you all to pursue your mission? That is definitely a good question. As I can speak from personal experience, during my time in the Air Force, I was also working in satellite operations as well. And what I noticed is that with satellite operations, we had a lot of different units conducting satellite operations or helping to build satellites and that sort of thing. But they were all had different bosses. It was a very dispersed effort. There wasn't one person singularly in charge of all the different space missions. And when you think of that, when it comes to time to produce a budget or you know do a budget request, it's really hard to collect multiple budget requests from you know, multiple different entities. For Rice's now, we have one boss, so we all the space missions in the military fall under one singular umbrella, which makes it easier to submit budget requests because we can combine them from all our different mission areas and put them into one input moving forward. So I would say in terms of coordination and in terms of being able to coordinate all these different activities under one roof has been especially critical. And I think that's one of the main points that we decided to stand up a space force was to coordinate all these space activities that have just grown exponentially since the end of the Cold War under one singular umbrella. Yeah, sounds like a much better use of resources and a much more coordinated effort. Yes, definitely. Well, in a couple of the conversations here that we've been having, you've talked a lot about being involved in satellite operations, numerous different functions for those satellites. Can you take our audience through maybe a challenging situation that you've had and how you were able to manage that and persevere? Well, that's a good question. I would say that you would probably think I would say something about working with satellites. You know, I've had a lot of tense moments working in satellite operations. Unfortunately, I can't really fully tell the whole story about some of those instances just because a lot of the details are classified. But I will tell you about a point in my career where 
I was kind of at the point where, mm, should I stay or, you know, should I get out and, and do something else? And one of those moments was, you know, as you know, of course, in the military, you have different assignment opportunities. You know, at the time I was working with a civilian organization that worked in weather satellites. So I was conducting weather sa- satellite operations and I received an unexpected assignment from our assignment team. And I was like, oh, cool, you know, maybe I'm going to get to go overseas, maybe another space operations assignment, you know, something cool with satellites. And then lo and behold, I found out it was an assignment for ROTC, which is Reserve Officer Training Corps, the programs all over throughout the country at, you know, different colleges and universities. And, you know, I was like, what? This has nothing to do with satellites. What is this? You know, and I was just taken aback. And I was, I just remember being like so upset. And I was kind of like, wow, that's not really the assignment I expected. And, you know, I had to think about it for a moment because I wasn't sure at the time the Air Force was offering bonuses for people to just leave the service because we were overmanned at the time. And, you know, I had plenty of civilian job offers, opportunities or offers based on the location I was at. But I'll never forget my boss's boss had heard about the assignment and knew that I was, you know, somewhat taken aback by it. And he actually arranged for a virtual call, which is unheard of because at the time I was a captain and this person was at least a two-star general. And they said, hey, you know, I know that this isn't what you want, but we really need people like you to inspire the next generation of leaders. Without you, we don't have a space force or an air force or any kind of force. So we need you to be that guiding light for future generations of officers that are going to serve after you. And, you know, I thought about it and I was like, yeah, you know what, you're right. You know, this is something, you know, maybe it wasn't what I, it wasn't my number one choice, but, you know, I'm going to try it out and it could be too bad. So I went and took the assignment and man, it ended up being the best assignment of my career. I learned so much out of that. And, you know, I still go back every so often. You know, I made a lot of friends in that area. It just turned out to be a really good opportunity for me. So, and then when I was there, one of the person in charge of the ROTC program said that your actions will impact the service, you know, 20 and 30 years down the road. And I was like, man, that's pretty impactful. That's pretty powerful. And I was like, man, you know, why did I think about turning down this assignment? It's been really cool. Yeah. And what a high compliment to really to be inspiring those next generations. And I love that story, Major, because I often talk when I do talks to students and that and talk about my career. I always say it's been like a game of shoots and ladders, right? Sometimes you're going up the ladder. Sometimes you're going down the chute. And sometimes it's just a lateral move. But from any of those, you will learn something that will be beneficial down the road. And and it sounds like for you, just being able to inspire people and to make that connection with your boss's boss was probably some of the best things that came out of that. So so never turn it down. There's a reason you've been tapped, right? Absolutely. I couldn't agree more on that statement. So now maybe shifting gears just a little bit, we've all seen a huge increase in the commercialization of space in the last few years. Some very successful, some not so successful. But how has that activity in space helped or hindered your mission? I could say it's only helped us. As you know, we can't conduct or accomplish space operations without our commercial partners. We as a service, we don't build our own rockets. We don't build our own satellites. We don't build our own computer networks to talk to those satellites. So it's essential, absolutely critical that we partner with our commercial partners wherever we can, because the benefits between both parties 
can only you know grow the service and improve our operations moving forward. Yeah, I feel like it's been inspiring for talent as well. I mean, I'm from the space race generation, and I know how that inspired so many people. But I can tell at our career fairs that we do at all of our SWE events that the companies involved in space and space work, that's where everybody wants to be. So I think that visibility has got to be really helpful to the field. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So what advice would you give to somebody who is considering a career in the Air Force or even pursuing something like the Space Force? How do they engage? What do they need to do? Going online definitely is a good first step. Trying to find mentors, find people with everything so interconnected nowadays. You can find information, you know, at the drop of a hat on, you know, LinkedIn or other platforms. Space Force has a website as well. Some advice I would offer and kind of to echo some of the things that you already said earlier is life isn't necessarily linear. You know, I know that starting out when we're young, we have all these plans like, oh, I'm going to do this. And then after that, I'm going to do A, B, C, D, and E. But life usually isn't like that. It takes, it's more of like a zigzag shape, if you will. Somebody once told me that it all makes sense when you look back on it. But when you're at the beginning, it's hard to draw all those different connections. Like, you know, where I sit right now working at headquarters Space Force, looking back, I can see, oh, the skills I got at this job led to this and then led this roundabout way and so on and so forth. But if you, I would have looked at the beginning of my career and saw the progression, I would have been like, none of that makes any sense. Like, how? So that's one thing. Another thing is, cultivate as many interests as possible. I had the benefit from an early age. I had my mom taking me to libraries all the time and museums and science exhibits and that sort of thing. So I was able to cultivate all these different interests. So even today as an adult, I pull a lot of knowledge from these different areas where I have an interest in. So, and it's good because it kind of broadens your knowledge base. And then it also, you know, maybe if you're interested in one thing, it will lead to a discovery in a totally different area from there. And then another thing I would say is don't be afraid to try. You know, we learn as much from our successes as we do our failure. You're not going to be an expert at everything the first time you try it. You kind of have to lead into it. I know all the things that I've tried, coding, trying to put together a computer, stuff like that. I never did it perfectly the first time, but after I did it a couple times, you know, I got better at it. We have this idea sometimes in our mind of effortless success, which I think is a tad bit unrealistic. I can't tell you how many times I've failed or, you know, I didn't get the job or position I wanted or I applied to something and I didn't get it. But all those failures, they you learn something from them and you're able to move forward from that. Somebody that's super successful, we see all the successes that they stood for, but we don't necessarily get to see all the failures along the way. I would say half your failures result in success. That's good. I agree. A lot of what we see in the media is only focused on success. But like you said, it's many of those failures that lead to the next success. And you mentioned taking risks. Can you just talk a little bit maybe about a network you might have built to help you take those risks or to help you pick you up when you have those failures? Oh, absolutely. You know, I've been fortunate enough throughout my career that I've been able to build that kind of peer network of you know, people that I've worked for, I've worked with, or people who I've met through other activities that have definitely had an overall positive influence on my life. And I'll also be the same type of people that would tell me if I'm doing something wrong, like why I'm wrong. So it's good to kind of build that network. 
as you go through life to have that in case when you fall or when you need to take a risk. So it's always good to have you know, a cheerleader in your quarter, if you will, to kind of cheer you on when you're like, oh, I'm not so sure if I should do this. But if you have that built-in network, it'll help you that much more. Yeah. And we all get so busy. It's hard to make time to do that. But it really is so important, I think, especially for women to have that network. So I just want to close with maybe just if you could share the biggest lesson you've learned since working with the U.S. Space Force. Oh, absolutely. So I've been working space operations for a very long time now. I started working in space operations with the Air Force, and so I did that for a long time. And then only recently did Space Force stand up. So I've worked in the Air Force longer than I worked for Space Force, if that makes sense. But I say one of the, a couple of things that I've learned along the way is that change is constant and we're always evolving. Things are always evolving. A couple of days ago, I was looking back through some of my files and I had some of the training material from when I first started as a second lieutenant working in space. And I was looking at it. I'm like, so much of this stuff is outdated. I couldn't believe it. And one of the things is, you know, back in the day, space was a benign environment. Now that's no longer the case. You know, as modern societies have become more reliant on space-based capabilities, the space domain has become more congested, it's become more contested, and competitive. And we've probably maybe only seen that transition maybe in the last 10 years or so. But I would say that the rate of change that we experience today in our society is unprecedented. We've never had so many advances in technology and science and all those things happening all at once at, at the pace that they're happening at. So I'd say you're always in this constant state of learning. Like I'm finding out that things that I learned three years ago are no longer the case. And sometimes even things that I learned like a year ago are no longer the case. So having constant learning, having that as a habit throughout your life, I think will help you go far and kind of help you adjust along the way as these changes happen. Yeah. The pace of change is fast and we all need to be lifelong learners. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think just with the recent bad weather we've had here in the U.S. and seeing how important those weather satellites are and just how that the ability to predict and pinpoint where these storms are is just fascinating. And to know that Space Force is involved in making sure we have that technology, I think we all need to be grateful as citizens. So, Major, I really want to thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. Again, we've been joined by Major Melissa Birma, who's with the U.S. Space Force. And for all of us at SWE, thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Diverse. Please don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with your social network. You can keep up to date with our podcast on Instagram at SWE Diverse Podcast and on our blog, altogether at altogether.swe.org.